Amen. Thank you, folks. You can have your seats. So, this message tonight is entitled, Just the Christian. So, it's basic. Thank you, Sheila. Hey, get your name right. Thank you. Sheila. Leisha, my apologies. <laughs> my apologies. I, did, I don't know. I got to know her now. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, she did all of that. So, the basics of Christianity, and when we go through these few points, not many points, and you see what God is challenging us to do, yo, it's a tough job. It's a tall order, but not in our strength, not in our strength. So, when you think of Christianity, it's not an easy journey. Would you agree with me? Christianity is hard. It's not for sissies. Who feels Christianity is easygoing to be Christ-like. Okay, not easy going. So, turning the other cheek is easy, hey? No. Being the least is easy. There's just a few basics of Christianity. Being the least is very, very hard. Preferring others above yourself. Scripture says, prefer others above yourself. Philippians 2. How easy is that? No. Put their interests above your own. Loving one another, Jesus says to us as his children, love one another as I have loved you. Now, did Christ love us as much as he loves himself or a bit more? Hello? He loved us more than he loved himself. He laid his life down for us. Now, I mean, that in itself is, I've never managed that. To love you more than I love myself as Christ. And I would say the hardest one is to love your enemy. Even though your enemy forcibly takes something from you, give him. He takes something and you still give him something else. You hand him something else while he's forcefully actually robbing you of something. That's in Luke chapter 6. So this person I know shared a story or has a story where he was in the army, was a lieutenant in the army. And he had a captain of another religion. And this captain didn't like it. So now I'm just describing a bit of loving your enemy. This captain didn't like it that he would share the gospel with his troops. And so when the captain had to write in or actually give, uh, give him a referral and give him an evaluation, the captain evaluate, evaluated him that he's a, not a good lieutenant, that he should be kicked out of being a lieutenant in the South African army because he didn't do this and this. And he, and he mentioned a whole lot of tasks that he said he didn't do. And so this lieutenant that I know, he had to go and write a report on every point that this captain had put out that he did not do his job so that he did not lose his rank. And so he wrote a 16-page report refuting every point that the captain had against him. And that had to go to the uh, commander. I think that's the right English word in any case. That had to be given to the commander of the base. And then when the captain saw the report, he didn't even give the refuting report to the commander because he, he realized every point he's been wrong at. And so this lieutenant maintained his rank, but he was being persecuted for, for the sake that he, he spread the gospel amongst the troops. This captain from, was from another religion. And they were both studying law. This lieutenant and the captain were studying law after hours. And um, so this captain had failed one insolvency law. Who are lawyers here? He'd written the exam three times. 
And so this lieutenant came across him in the library, photostating notes, I mean, photostating, and, and the Lord just spoke to the lieutenant's heart and said to him, love your enemy. And this lieutenant went to him and said, listen, I'll give you my notes. I'm sure if you study them, you'll pass. And that captain did pass. It wasn't easy for that lieutenant that I know. It was very hard for him. Because actually he was saying, yeah, great for you, fail again, you know. But he chose to love him despite. He chose to love somebody that, that had wanted to take his rank away from him. That was mistreating him because of the name of Jesus Christ. So I've, I've um, been noticing in my own life and in many of your lives that we meet with that God is busy fine-tuning us. Would you agree? Who feels God is really turning the screws on in your life? Is it just me? Four of us. All right, let's pray. Father, <laughs> who's, who's really experiencing fine-tuning from the Spirit? Okay, the majority. All right. So would you say that God is, is not really tolerating those little sins anymore? He wants to push out those little yellow pimples. Have you seen those little yellow pimples? And they're in our hearts, unfortunately, and in our minds. God wants to push that out. Can you all see the picture? I hope it never leaves you. Because that, that is similar to a pimple. That's similar to a sin, to something that's not right. Those blind spots, those little indulgences. The things we indulge, we think, oh, it's not so bad. Or I'll do it and then I'll ask God to forgive me. Does that make sense? Purposeful sin? No, 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 no. We call them weaknesses. We call them mistakes or differences or wrong things. We, we soften what they are. Weaknesses, mistakes, differences, or wrong things. In Scripture, they are called sin. Sin is sin. It will never change. It's wrong in the eyes of God. It hurts you. It hurts God. It hurts your intimacy. It, it takes you to withdraw from, from people around you. From, from the spirit, you withdraw because you sit with this guilty conscience, although you shouldn't, because God does forgive you. He receives you back. How many times has God forgiven you for the same sin over and over and over and over again? Would you say a thousand times, or is that a low count? Who would say 10,000 times for the same thing? And you know you're forgiven. Am I right? I think that's one of the biggest miracles I've experienced in my life. I know in my heart I am released of this guilt. I just know that I know. And God has done something amazing in my heart. He just released me. So let's look at a few basic Christian principles. We find them in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 is the first verse we're going to look at. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. All right. Let's just stop at the lazy part. Who here is as lazy as I am? Three of us. Four of us. Nordine, where are you? Where's my wife? Oh, Nordine, am I lazy? I am. I am. Some are more lazy than others. We think, oh, it's nice to be lazy. Why not be a bit lazy? You know, I deserve just to relax. Scripture says, if you do not work, you do not eat. You're not allowed to eat if you do not work. So um, in many parts of Scripture, it commands us to deal with our sinful nature, to put our sinful nature to death, 
So it's not only the work of the Spirit. Yes, we need the Spirit to help us. Whose work is it also to put to death your sinful nature? Take your finger, point it at yourself. Two, Devald, take your finger, point it at yourself. You have to put to death. It's a battle. It's a war. It's not easy going and easy coming. It's a battle. You're in a war against your sinful nature. You know what? And many of us have a natural bend to want to do the wrong or the sinful thing. I think we all have that bend. So know that we must say, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going to pursue you with all of my heart. I need to fight and resist labor, labor, work hard in your heart and in your mind to put to death the members of your body, your sinful nature. And I want to dare to say, I think it's easier to physically work and get that right than it is to battle against the sin of your own heart. Would you say the physical is 10 to 1 easier than the battle in your own heart? I would dare to say that. It's easier for me to jump in, clean a place, do something. I think sometimes studying might be harder. Although I, I, I would not even dare to say that. I think to do something manually is easier than to do something emotionally, spiritually, to deal with in your own heart. It's harder. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 14 goes on to say, Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Timid means lack of courage, lack of confidence, and easily frightened. Who here has felt you sometimes have little courage, frightened, and lack of confidence? So some of us, some personalities do not really struggle that much with that. Who of you have siblings and you've seen that sibling has been bossy since day one of their birth. There are a few hands. And they're pointing to the sibling next to them. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, so who has siblings that they just are naturally pushy, bossy, overbearing? Raise your hands. They're too scared of each other. Who here owns it for yourself? Naturally bossy, overbearing, pushy. All right. So some folks are not timid by nature. They are, they are not, they, they generally are not weak. They don't struggle. They, they, you know, they just go for it. They, they don't struggle with, with that. They just are in nature. They are impatient. And for these people, they really have to work hard at being patient with others that are not as fast and not as productive, not as outgoing, not as go-getting as what they are. And uh, we have to learn patience with these folks that aren't like us if we are the go-getter, the impatient, the non-timid, the brave. They don't mind come standing here. Don't mind talking to a stranger. Don't mind doing something that others are more cautious to do. So I've often seen on hiking trips that those guys that run far ahead like Amy, they run far ahead on the hiking trip. But Amy would ever so often come back and say, oh, you guys are right. Can I help you? So though, that, that's having patience for those that are not as strong, not as, because they have other strengths that you don't have in. Their strengths might be patience, might be gentleness, where you are less gentle and less patient, more abrasive. So often we see in hiking trips, 
that you have to bear someone that keeps moaning and groaning and speaking of discomfort and pain and is less fit than you are, that is struggling with their bodies and everything, and we have to learn to be patient and kind with them. And some hikers are less friendly. They just talk down or speak to them and say, come on, shake yourself up, stop being such a sissy, which obviously is not biblical. <laughs> All right. So, we, no, we often don't behave as we should biblically. Let's look. So we've spoken about laziness. We're speaking, speaking about gentleness. We're speaking about patience. We're speaking about working with those that are weak, helping those that are timid. Let's look at the next one, verse 15. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Some of us are quick to the draw. Somebody zaps you with a nasty word or a harsh word, and you immediately shoot back. Who sits with that fault? Sometimes I do. You immediately, only f the rest of them very holy, Leonard. I, in counseling sessions, it's not like that. Here they have an appearance of holiness. I don't know. So who of you are quick to the draw? When somebody zaps you, you zap them back. Be honest. Come on. There's more than five. At least half of you. No, we're going to have to work on your truthfulness. Okay. So, do not pay back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. So, we're quick to the draw. Imagine if Christ had to be quick to the draw on the cross. If he had to say, I've had it. I'm going to call these legions of angels to destroy mankind once and for all. But he said, no, let them crucify me. Let my love convince them. I would believe, I would dare to say that the highest point of meekness was shown on the cross. Why would we say that's the highest expression of meekness? Anyone? Yandre. Okay. But I know your names now, so you're in trouble. Bernard. Anyone, yeah. Yeah, he gave everything. But on the, yes. Yeah. So he had his strength under control. And he said, I'll do whatever it takes. The thing that stands out the most for me about the meekness of the cross and Jesus on the cross is that he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He actually gave them a check that he signed and it was blank. He said, I will forgive you whatever you do. If you turn to me, put your faith on me and what I'm doing for you on the cross, if you put your confidence, you will be saved and washed of all your sin. So actually, his meekness is saying, and if we had to copy that kind of meekness, is to say, I allow someone else to make mistakes at my expense, never being sure they will learn from their mistakes at my expense. Do you see that? Jesus on the cross, never knew all would turn to him, but he knew some, but he died for all. Whatever it takes, I will give my life for my brother and sister. So I have a, a friend, his mother died last week, and his granny died two days later. And he came to me and he said, I'm really, really struggling I really am struggling. Uh, my brother never came to the funeral. I sit with anger, bitterness, and resentment at my brother. 
I hate him. I, I know I mustn't. I'm struggling with this because he didn't come to my own, to his own mom's funeral. I said, well, let's chat. And we chatted and, and it came out that this brother was in the business with him. And this brother wouldn't listen. He would just pay all his expenses out of the business account. And at one stage, a few years ago, they didn't have money to pay their creditors and their subcontractors. And so the mother stopped the account. She was uh, in charge of the business. And she said, we cannot work with you anymore. And they literally fired him because he wouldn't listen. But in all those years, that brother had fallen backwards and backwards, had become more and more impoverished to such an extent that, but they never, in that time, they never reached out to help him. They let him just fall backwards. And so he built up so much resentment and hatred towards his own mom and his own brother, he didn't even come to the funeral of his mom or his granny. So there, this guy wanted to pay evil back with evil. He wanted to take revenge. And scripture says, do not, do not pay back evil with evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Do you know that you, when you step, when you take that step of reacting in evil towards evil being done to you, you know what happens to your heart? It starts the journey of evil itself. Evil starts growing in your heart as you start acting in revenge or retaliation towards someone else, it starts to destroy you from the inside out. Evil will fill your heart as you act in the same spirit that somebody comes towards you in an ugly, abrasive, rude, harsh way. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 15. Well, that's the same verse, just the second part of it. Always try to do good to each other and to all people. Aren't most of us actually looking out for our own interests and not for the good of others? Always try to do good to each other and to all people. So we need to say, I need to, I have a saying, spite my flesh. Work against my natural bend. Work against my nature and say, you know what, no. I'm going to spite my flesh. And even though I don't want to give my steak to this guy that hasn't brought meat, I'm going to give it to him. And even though I just want to bring enough meat for me and my wife, I'm going to buy two extra pieces. Even though that means for the next week, I'm going to live off bread or bread and coffee and butter and jam. I'll give you some jam, you don't have jam. Bread and butter and coffee and jam. By buying extra meat for someone that didn't have or has less, I'm going to do it. I'm going to look out for the good of other people. I'm going to bring an extra chocolate, just spoil whoever. And not only, it doesn't say look out for each other, but to do it to all people. That means people that aren't part of our body, that aren't Christians, that could be unsaved, to do good to all people. Let's look at um, a very important point regarding this book. It is written to a church that is going through massive persecution. The context of this book is people that because they become Christians, they get kicked out of their families. They lose their beds. They lose their homes. They lose their jobs. They get beaten. They get spat at. This is the context of this book, Thessalonians. They were being persecuted. In 2 Thessalonians, you hear of all the persecutions. Even in 1 Thessalonians, you read of it. 
So this is the context. He's saying to them, do good to all. Good to do good to each other and do good to all, while Paul knows all are killing them, are kicking them off out of their homes, are robbing them of their jobs. So we struggle to buy an extra piece of this or that or do this and this for that, and we're not going through persecution. They were going through massive persecution for their faith. So I'd like you to turn to one, let's do a quick activity. If you had to stretch yourself this week to do good, be it to someone in this church or someone outside, think of the worst case scenario that you can spite your flesh. Think of it right now. To do good to someone else or just someone in this church. Once you've thought of something and you want to share it, let's be sensitive, eh? And you want to share it, share it with the person next to you. If you don't want to, don't. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. Think of something extravagant that's going to cost you to do good to others. Let's look at the next verse, verse 16. Now, this I think is one of the hardest. Sometimes be joyful. <laughs> hey, how can God expect this of us? On Fridays, be joyful. <laughs> always, always be joyful. Now think of the crowd he's talking to. Yes, guys. I often think my Christianity is spielgoed Christianity. You know what spielgoed means for the English, English speaker? It's like a toy Christianity. Yes, always be joyful. Not always. How humanly possible? It's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible to always be joyful. It's a place, it's a state of mind that can only be attained by the infilling and the constant presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Seeing things from God's perspective all the time. And that doesn't come by just spending a five-minute quiet time in the morning. That comes by wrestling, like Jacob, wrestle with God. It's by rubbing shoulders with Jesus 24-7. The times he tugs at your heart or you have a hunger for something to tap into the spirit, listen to a sermon, listen to scripture, praise and worship in your car, sing on the headphones while you're walking on the roads, or just excuse yourself for something and just be with Christ. Because in his presence is what of joy? Fullness. So the key to the fullness of joy is to be in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. To seek His presence, not to run away from Him and, and run after every other in pleasure or enjoyment. That's not going to satisfy you. God has created a hole in your heart that He alone can fill. Nothing else will fill that gap except Him. You must release complete control to Him. No matter how dire or terrible circumstances are that contradict your joy to say, Lord, I trust you enough. Because I know you'll make a way. And if you really trust God, you can see the positive outcome despite impossible circumstances. You see, 
You can, you can literally see how the thing turns. So even unsaved parents, unsaved family members, see them worshiping God. See them abandoned to Jesus. If you have a lecturer that really guns you, or, a, or a somebody that guns you is rude, even a parent or whatever, or a colleague at work that's gunning you, see them changed. Put your faith in God. Have a heart's posture of saying, you and you alone, God, can enable me to always be joyful despite my circumstances. To trust Him completely. So you and me, with all of our cooperation and surrender to Jesus, can achieve this challenge written on the board, this verse. Us and God together, under complete submission to the Holy Spirit, we can do it. Us. It's interesting, these verses all say, we must, it's like commands. It, it is written in the imperative. It's a command. Always be joyful. Do not be lazy. It's a command. But in verse 23, he says, Paul says, you can do none of this without the Holy Spirit keeping you holy and blameless. So we have this powerful saying, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. God is in covenant with us. Without God, man just cannot. Without man, God will not. I believe there's much more for us to delve into deeper than we've delved in until thus far. For us to discover more of the Holy Spirit, more than we've ever thought imaginable. I can tell you of stories that will astound you. That happened in times of revival. Whole congregations in a state of trance. And it was powerful men and women that brought many to Christ. And in that time when they were all not, they were not present, they would go visit hell. And they'd come back and they would flood the stage and they'd fall on their faces and repent and weep. They never backslid again. They didn't. Because they saw the reality that if they did not turn, and I'm not saying dry of bry, I'm not saying it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Yes. But in some occasions, God does do that. So God wants us to delve much deeper, to get him, to know him much deeper than we are presently knowing him. Seeking his presence much deeper than we have thus far. Someone I know read a very powerful book. Have you ever read it, Prison to Praise? It's an old book. Um, we, I have friends of ours, well, not friends, or we, we knew each other, uh, Hendrik and Yurina. Uh, I know them about 26 years, eh? We, I was a missionary, and I visited his church. And there's another friend from old, Alistair. Where are you? There he is. Yeah, that also about 10 years ago. And so great to see these faces. But I think you would probably have read Prison to Praise. You did. It's an old, powerful book. And it's about this guy that went to jail. And he learned the, 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 the principle of always giving thanks in all circumstances. And that's going to be another two points further. We're going to talk about that. Always giving thanks in all. And he learned to thank God in all circumstances. And he literally laughed his way out of prison. They shortened his, his, his prison time. They released him quickly. And this, this friend read this book. And he was so filled with joy. This is his testimony. For two to three weeks, he was walking in the air. 
He was so flooded with the Spirit of God. I mean, he would have abrasive such people would come and they'd, the enemy tried everything through various people and circumstances. He'd just say, praise God. I'm he, was, he looked like a bit mad. He did, did it look normal? But he was so filled with the joy of God as God used this book to touch his heart. Each one has got a different journey, but this was his journey. Scripture says in verse 17, never stop praying. Are you praying as you are sitting now? No, so we've stopped praying. Never stop praying. And the principles we spoke of, always being joyful, we have to apply them here too. To also never stop praying. Seeking the presence of God will alight in your spirit things to pray, to talk about, to practice His presence, to talk to Him about everything. Verse 18 is what I just spoke of. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all. How easy is that to be thankful in all circumstances? It's very hard for me. But if you can be thankful in all circumstances, you really, really trust Him. Because you say, no matter what the circumstances are saying or appearing to contradict what I'm believing in, I trust you despite the physical evidence, the visible, the smellable, the touchable, whatever. I trust you past that. Because I know you will make And therefore, I can thank you in this circumstance. Verse 19, 20, and 21. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. How do we stifle the Holy Spirit? When we use our own wisdom, our own frame of reference to judge something that's happening that is done by a Christian or done in a church or done whatever in a Christian context. Even, I mean, if God can use a donkey... And, and that guy, I can't remember his name, that prophet. It wasn't even a prophet, was it, huh? Balaam. He, imagine he came to somebody and said, the donkey spoke to him. He said, no, God never speaks to a donkey. Be gone. To really, before you make a judgment from your frame of reference, to say, Lord, speak to me. Give me discernment. I cannot base on my past experience to judge a situation that God's. God is not a God in the box. His manifestation varies. His manifestation varies. So, and I will end off with this last verse. Or this last thought. It's not the last verse. We need to close. Stay away from every kind of evil. And I'd like to speak specifically of one evil. And now we've been talking a lot about it. Sexual sin. Stay away from every kind of evil. It's a powerful saying that sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what sin does to us. 1 Corinthians 16, 
15 to 20. We're going to read that and we'll close off with that. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run. Don't approach. Don't run towards. Run away. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. So it affects your body, your heart, and your mind more than the other sins. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you, verse 20, with a high price. So you must honor God with all your body. All sexual activity, I would say, outside of marriage, is one other way of you prostituting yourself with whatever person or form, pornography, whatever. You selling yourself short of what God has intended for you. And I know, I know we have desires. I know I've had to have this battle in my own life in some of these areas. But it is winnable. It is not impossible. And there is forgiveness at the foot of the cross for any and all sexual sin. Christ says, but I say anyone, Matthew 5, 28, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I know a lot of us escape into sexual stuff because of emotional triggers of inferiority, of rejection, of brokenness. It stimulates and encourages us to escape into illicit sexual stuff. But we are never forced to do that. We still make the choice. Romans 8 verses 13 says, and that's my last verse. For if you live by its dictates, you will die by your sinful nature. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Who of you have had moments where you've experienced there's not really words to describe it, but it's like the power of God come over you. It's like wave upon wave of electricity, of goosebumps, of just ah, the Spirit filling your heart, filling your mind. Who of you have experienced that once in your life? Most of you. If you haven't pursued to experience that touch of the Spirit. But now try to imagine, to think anything sinful, sexual, or any other in that moment. When you're experiencing that presence of God over your heart, is it possible? Who would say it's possible? It's impossible. So the key is to keep a measure of the power of that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in you and through you. By being present with God. By pursuing His presence. By being filled with joy. By being filled with kindness and patience. By being thankful in all things, it all depends on your decision and your surrender to the Spirit of God. The two of you do it together. 
But you have to make the decision and say, no, I'm going to flee from it. Because this will hurt me more than will hurt anybody else. The key is to feed enough of the Spirit of God on a daily basis that you have enough reserve power of the Holy Spirit to say no. The measure to which you spend time with God is the measure to which your holiness increases. The measure to which you lack in spending time in pursuing God is the measure to which your holiness decreases. It's a barometer. Can we all close our eyes? Any of you that want to respond to any of these points, and the points are in summary on the board, let's look at them. Regarding laziness, before you close your eyes, timidity, weakness, patience, evil for evil, not doing good, struggling with the joyful, praying, thankful, stifling the spirit, scoffing at prophecy, not testing the word of God, not testing, not holding on to good. And doing evil, kinds of evil. Now close your eyes. Any of those that pucker up in your heart. And you say, you know what? I need to confess this to the Lord right now. I need to deal with one of these or more than these. More than one. I lack in this sanctification. God's putting the screw on in that area of my life. I'd like you to stand. I'd like you just to turn your palms up facing the ceiling. It's just a, a mode of surrender. It's a body posture of saying, Jesus, here I am. And pray whatever's in your heart. Confess that thing to God. Because each one's got a different one. And say, Lord, I choose to pursue you with all my heart. I want your presence so strong in my life that your power will help me to kill my sinful nature. In this area, in laziness, in not being kind, in whatever, not being thankful, not being joyful, in sexual sins. God, save me from myself. Pray that. Save me from myself, Lord. I'm often my worst, biggest enemy, Lord. You know what those things are. Just confess them quietly to the Lord.